0: son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. A lot of what we've dealt with over the past, uh, several months in the book of Galatians has been pretty theological Uh, really it's been talking about uh, the Torah the law the place of the Jews the uh, promise made to Abraham the history of grace in Abraham the promise um, those kinds of things and so um, uh, a lot of what we have been looking at has uh, had to do with sort of a um, uh, if you will the 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 contest of truth against falsehood in the nature of how we relate to God. Uh, this morning, it gets a little bit personal for Paul. As he's been writing to the Galatian Christians, he's, he's reminding them that um, these false teachers who have come in have led them away. They, they're, they're just massively invested now in a, in a, in, in a religious expression of faith And Paul loves them too much to leave them there, and so he's been confronting them. Then when he gets down to verse uh, 16, he says, Have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? I'm telling you the truth, and does that make me your enemy? I think uh, anybody who's done any amount of pulpit work knows that if you talk in front of people long enough, eventually somebody's going to take offense at something you said because they misunderstood it. Uh, I mean, the, the number of folks who have um, uh, sort of walked out on, on my preaching ministry over the years, you could probably start your own megachurch with it. And, um, <laughs> it's, it's one of the humbling things about pulpit ministry, but uh, as you present the truth of the gospel, eventually it offends people. When you talk about the fact not that God is your heavenly Father who loves you and wants you to be the very best person you can be and so just buck up and try harder, um, but you proclaim that God is a holy God of righteousness whose wrath is visited upon sin and we are sinners deserving the wrath of God. That's all they hear. They say, wow, this, this guy has nothing but condemnation to say that's all he wants to talk about is, is that I'm, I'm this sort of uh, worm rolling around, and, and I'm unworthy, and I don't, I don't need that. And, and uh, so they, they don't literally walk out. They run, and, uh, and they don't keep with you long enough to hear the great exchange Were you listening to the choir? This great exchange. We bring to God brokenness, sinfulness, dysfunctionality. We bring to God a rebellious heart. We bring to God a life that has said we want nothing to do with him, and we exchange that life for the life of Christ, who in perfect obedience, perfect love for the Father, Perfect expression of grace died in our place. Oh, the greatness of that exchange and the wonder of grace. And you just can't help but go home singing, having it rolling over and over in your mind. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. And that's, that's what Paul wants the folks to hear. Jesus paid it all. But they love their religion. They love their religion. Paul says, look, here's what's happened to you. And, and, um, oh, where is it? It's in there somewhere. (laughs) Well, just start it in in verse 8. He says, you didn't know God. You were enslaved by nature to those who aren't gods. Now you've come to know God. Rather, God knows you. It's not like you took a study course and got to know God. It's rather that God knows you, and in his grace, he revealed himself to us in Christ. God knows you. You are known by God. How can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you once were? Why do you want to go back to that? You observe days and months and seasons and years. You know, there's something kind of like fun about being a part of a liturgical calendar, the church calendar where you observe the feasts and the festivals and you have all the excitement and this celebration. Naturally as good Baptists we don't observe the church calendar but we love Christmas and we love Easter and we love Thanksgiving and we love special occasions to get together and, 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 and sort of celebrate together and sing the hymns together and have a great time together. We, we observe these things and Paul comes along and says you're doing this and it accomplishes nothing apart from Jesus Christ. All the religion in the world accomplishes nothing apart from Jesus Christ. I don't like to hear that. You know, when I've invested my life in that, when that's my tradition, when that's what mom and dad did, now along comes Paul and he says, you know, that that doesn't count. That doesn't engender righteousness In your life, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that any more than the Pharisees wanted to hear Jesus telling them that their devotion to the law was not accomplishing the righteousness of God. The Pharisees who didn't want to hear Jesus telling them that all their sanctimonious Sabbath keeping didn't matter to a God who loved people more than he loved tradition. They didn't want to hear that. Jesus said it anyway. The rich didn't want to hear Jesus telling them that their wealth was not a sign of God's favor and that because they were wealthy and at the top of the economic heap that somehow they were approved by God. They didn't want to hear that their wealth was actually standing in the way of knowing God. They didn't want to hear that. You know, when people came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'll go with you wherever you want to go, but first let me go bury my father who, by the way, is still alive. We're just waiting for him. You know. And Jesus said, look, let the dead bury the dead. You come follow me. You can't plow straight looking back. You cannot say you're following me and have your eyes set on something in the old way of life. They didn't want to hear that. There were a lot of folks who went away sad. You remember that there were thousands of them there in John chapter 6, that when he talked about uh, his body and his blood, that unless you partake of him, you have no life within you. They said, this is hard. We didn't sign up for this. And they went away and they left him. Have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? Have I become your enemy because I set before you the stark reality of human sin and the great grace of God in redeeming us? Have I become your enemy? You see, the truth sometimes hurts. The truth hurts. Now, I'm not talking about when you... You you know what we do. We go up to somebody and we tell them off. I gave them a piece of my mind. Well, you gave him too big a piece. You didn't keep enough for yourself. I just told him the way it is. No, you just told him the way you think it is. And you don't have enough wisdom to know how it is. I'm not talking about this hiding behind. I'm just telling the truth as a way of hurting people. That's not what I'm talking about. But sometimes when you share with people what their real need is, it hurts. They don't want to hear it. Yeah. They want to hear that there's a simple answer, that there's just a few things on the edges of their life that need to change, that maybe if they just, oh, I don't know, uh, just change their mannerisms or change their tone of voice or, or learn communication skills, maybe that's all that they really need. And you say, no, that's not what you need. You can learn all these techniques but until you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you will still be lost in your sin, and you will still be deserving of the wrath of God. Your basic root problem is the same problem every other human being has, and that is rebellion against our Creator, rejecting Him as sovereign Lord over our lives. And Jesus died that our sins might be forgiven. Only through the cross can we come to the Father by faith in Christ. They don't want to hear that because the truth hurts. Sometimes the truth hurts because we know it's true. The truth hurts because we know it's spot-on, focused in on who we are. That's why the truth hurts. But we don't want to hear these things. and, and because of that, it sort of becomes tempting to preach some kind of gospel that's not the authentic gospel, to turn the gospel of salvation into Christ into kind of a pop psychology session where we don't talk about sin. We just talk about problems. We don't talk about our rebellion against God. We just talk about the fact that our, our parents did this or we had this traumatic experience and so forth. You remember when Jesus met the woman at the well in Samaria? And uh, he said, give me something to drink. She said, well, you know, why are you a Jew asking something to drink? He said, well, if you only knew who was talking to you, you'd ask me for, for, for water, for a drink, because I'm living water. You know, how that went. Well, at one point, Jesus said, go get your husband. This was in the middle of the day. This woman had come to get water at the well in the middle of the day. Everybody else had come to get water at the beginning of the day when it was Cooler and where you could go with your friends, and where you could chit-chat and share. Share. And that's a Greek word for gossip. But, you know, where you could talk together. But this woman came by herself, and, and, and she came in the middle of the day, and uh, so Jesus says, you know, go get your husband. Let's, let's all talk together. She says, well, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five. The man you're living with now, he's not your husband. That hurt. That hurt. But the conversation continued, and then it got to that wonderful point where she said, you know, this is starting to click with me. You know, I've tried everything to to sort of circumvent the issue. Jesus has focused in on my real need. It's a real need for the Messiah. She runs into the village. You you remember this? This is in John uh, uh, chapter 4. And uh, she runs into the village, and she says, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. I always knew that the village people said, We know everything you ever did. <laughs> Come see a man who knows everything I ever did, and he'll still talk to me. And he loves me in a way that no man ever loved me before. And the village went out, and first they believed because of what she said, and then they believed because of what Jesus said, but well, what would have happened if she said, I don't have a husband, I, have, I, I, I don't have a husband. He had said, would you like to talk about that? How does that make you feel? Um, w- would you like to explore the avenues whereby you might find self-expression in this relationship? This one you're living with is not your husband. Uh, do you feel as though you need to be affirmed? What would have happened? She would have felt great, and she would have died in her sins. Sometimes the truth hurts when we know it's true, but the truth heals. The truth of the authentic gospel puts lives back together. The truth of the gospel heals. Uh, When Paul was writing to the Galatian Christians, he he wrote to them. He said, look, um, I, I, I know where you are in this religion thing, and it seems really cool to you, and and it has sort of a, a sense of accomplishment because religions do that to you. But in point of fact, you're missing the whole point of the grace of God. The promise was given and received by faith, and that's how God works in your life. There's healing when God works in your life by his grace appropriated through faith. When Jesus came and he healed the leopard, it wasn't just so that, that, that these guys could have a clear skin again. He healed the leopard to show that the Father in heaven heals those who are unclean before him. When he opened eyes, it wasn't just so Bartimaeus could see again. It was so that we would know that God, our Father in heaven, opens our eyes to see him. When he opened the ears that we might hear, when he strengthened the limbs that we might walk, when he restored the dead to life, it was to declare that this is what the authentic gospel does. It brings you life. Yes, the truth hurts, but the truth heals, and it makes us whole again in a way that we can never do ourselves. Very quickly, the truth hurts and it heals, but it also honors. That's the third H in the alliteration. So it heals, it hurts, it heals, and it honors. That's just another way to say the truth loves. The truth loves. This word for speaking the truth when when Paul said, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? That Greek word for telling the truth, it's one word, is only used one other time. It's used in Ephesians 4.15. And um, in Ephesians 4:15, Paul is writing to the Ephesians. They, they've got basically the same problem, and Paul says to them, "Look, um, you, you don't want to be tossed about by every wind of doctrine and so forth." But what what he says after that? He says, "But speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love." Paul understood what that meant. I, I know he did because he had a pulpit ministry. One of the things uh, that, that happens as you're preparing uh, a sermon is you think through, what are the folks going through? What are the people going through? The Holy Spirit brings to your mind the, the, the faces and the names and the heartaches that are out there. And you understand that because of the pain that's out there, The thing you said that was absolutely true in the classroom will never be heard in the pew because it will be filtered through the agonies of life. And the truth doesn't change, and you don't withhold the truth, you don't keep the truth back, but you pray for words that would communicate the truth even through the heartache and the pain. I can just hear Paul saying to young Timothy, if you don't love the people, stop preaching to them. If you don't care about them, if your heart doesn't break with them, stop preaching to them. Because the truth loves. The truth honors the people. The truth views them the way our Father in heaven views them as a value to Him, so much so that He sent His Son to die in their place. Speaking the truth in love means always speaking the truth with this, this uh, mindset that it's the truth that needs to get through, and sometimes it has to break through a lot of heartache and a lot of pain. But the truth loves so much, it must be said. It must be spoken. See, God loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. He loves us right where we are. He loves you right where you are in your, lo- in your life today. But he loves you too much to leave you there. And that's the truth. You know, the, the, the sort of uh, soft-edged, popular gospel of God loves you, just, just feel the love. Okay, fine, but that's not the whole truth. God loves you. God loves you too much to leave you the way you are. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem you. So the truth can hurt and the truth can heal, but the truth must be spoken in love. Now, Paul goes to the, the Galatians. He says, have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? Is that, is that the problem here? That's why I'm saying it, it got real personal with Paul. Uh, he, he'd had such a great relationship with the Galatians. You, you remember in the text, if you have it in front of you, you skim through it, and, and Paul said, look, when I got there, you knew it was because I was, I was sick. I had a bodily ailment. Scholars don't know what that was. Some think he'd caught maybe malaria or some, some disease and he was stuck there for a few days, or some think that he was having problems with his eyes because he said, if you, if you could, you, you would have gouged your eyes out and given them to me. Some connected to the thorn in the side of the flesh. You know, there's all kinds of theories, but it amounts to this. Paul had an agenda. He was on an itinerary, but when he got to Galatia, he became sick, and the Holy Spirit used that to delay him there in Galatia. And so he did what any self-respecting, loving Christian missionary who transforms the world would do, is he starts sharing Christ with the Galatians. And he said, you know, it was because I was sick that I got there, but you received me like an angel of God. You received me. You couldn't have received me more if I'd been Jesus Christ. That's, that's the affection that he had with them. Now he says, but do I become your enemy by telling you the truth, by telling you the truth? There's a need for the authentic gospel in the churches today. Um, there is a need for the truth to be told. It's a very tempting thing. It's a very human temptation to soften the message a very human temptation to leave out the parts that hurt, a very human temptation to just preach the parts that sort of align with pop psychology of the day. There's a very uh, human temptation to just talk about the, the sort of the, the, uh, uh, the, the aspects that are sort of exciting and pleasing to the ear and, and tell the loving stories and, and about the children and, and, and little lambs and, and all that. But there's a need for the authentic gospel. And it hurts to hear about your sin. That's called the work of the Holy Spirit. But it's healing to hear the gospel. That's called the work of the Holy Spirit. And the love of God flows in a mighty way from the throne of heaven into the life of the believer when you accept Christ, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, have I become your enemy? By telling you the truth. Or has the Holy Spirit just excited our hearts once again to focus in on Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, so that we would love him more, desire him in a greater way, delight in him in in a manner that we've never imagined, so that we might be found to live in the truth. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Or is it the case that the person who loves you the most will always tell you the truth in love, even if it hurts, because it always heals? Let's bow together. Father, in a moment we'll come to the table that Christ set before us. In a moment we'll recall his broken body and his shed blood. Father, in a moment, we will remember the love that is ours because of his death. As we come, Father, I pray we would come in truth and spirit. I pray that we would come to this table with a greater sense of commitment and devotion. Father, that the truth of what this table represents would take hold of our lives. Father, for those here this morning for whom this is not a personal reality, I ask for the work of your Spirit. Bring about the change of heart. Bring about the confession of Christ. Thanking you and praising you, in Jesus' name we pray.